Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the patent medicine companies of Marshall, Michigan. Specifically, we're going to focus on the F.A. Stewart Company, which existed between 1893 to 1956, and it is credited with having put Marshall on the map in the eyes of the consumer on a national and international scale. So come along and join me. This is a fascinating history of a lost business that had such an impact on the city of Marshall. In the final quarter of 2022, I decided to venture on over to Oak Ridge Cemetery and do some videos exploring some of the history of the people that are buried there. And I had never done a video at Oak Ridge Cemetery before, and I did a three-part series on Oak Ridge Cemetery. And in doing some research on some of the grave sites that I visited there... I was reminded of an individual that I saw on a historic marker in downtown Marshall. And it was about the patent medicine business that once existed in Marshall, Michigan. And I came across the gravesite of a man by the name of Frank Alfred Stewart. And his monument drew my attention because it was quite impressive. It was a large stone marker that had a lot of carvings of birds and cranes and swallows and eagles carved into it. And it was more than just a, a massive headstone. It had more like a sarcophagus cover over the grave. And it's quite an ornate site out at Oak Ridge Cemetery. And it's hard to miss because of the detail and, of course, the birds carved into the stone will attract your attention. And apparently, Mr. Stewart, in his lifetime, was very fond of birds. And that was uh, partly why that was incorporated into his monument over his gravesite. But he was also important for another reason. He founded the F.A. Stewart Company. So let's take a look at some of his history. And then we'll look at the patent medicine business as a whole. The F.A. Stewart Company existed between 1893 to 1956, and it was the largest and most successful patent medicine company in Marshall's history. And it was founded as one of those golden companies during the Gilded Age, which is the period post-Civil War to the turn of the century. Frank Alfred Stewart was born in Marshall, Michigan in November of 1863, and he attended Marshall High School, graduating in 1882. Now, he got his first job with the Voltaic Belt Company working as a clerk. And this was a mail-order company where they shipped these belts all over the country. And in this position, he learned the inner workings of the mail-order medicine trade. He sorted and addressed and stuffed envelopes, and he answered special informational requests that came in the mail, and he learned the importance of wording in advertisements, and this was a lesson that he would never forget. After several years at the Voltaic Belt Company in partnership with his future brother-in-law, 
he founded a medicine company over in Albion, Michigan. And the company had several aliases over the years. It was the Albion Pharmacy, the W.F. Church Company, and the F.A. Stewart Company. In 1899, the firm incorporated as the Pyramid Drug Company, which had Frank Stewart as president and William Church as vice president. That same year, they moved the company headquarters from Albion over to Marshall. Now, meanwhile, Frank was starting the company which he and Marshall became well-known for at the same time when he was running the Pyramid Drug Company, and that was the F.A. Stewart Company. The firm began marketing Stewart's Dyspepsia Tablets, Stewart's Calcium Wafers, and Stewart's Charcoal Lozenges. Although the company had other products that they sold and marketed, those three were their primary successful products that they sent out in their mail order business all over the country. So Stewart's Dyspepsia tablets became the most popular and widely advertised remedy sold from a Marshall, Michigan address. In fact, for a time before the incorporation in 1898, the business was known as Stewart's Dyspepsia Remedy Company. Now, Frank, having learned the value of advertising, would eventually hire an outside advertising company. His advertisements would appear in newspapers from New York to Denver to Chicago, running full-page, carefully worded ads marketing his products. He later started international campaigns in England and in Canada. Now, although Frank's company was a fledgling company in the late 1890s, he never lacked capital for advertising. He seemed to have a golden touch in business, and he prioritized advertising, which made his enterprise succeed. The Pyramid Drug Company also was well-established by this time, and both enterprises provided enough income that allowed him to purchase a farm between Marshall and Albion at Brace Lake. At this site, he started a poultry business, which also yielded some income, and the poultry farm eventually became Stewart Acres, best known for its fruit orchards. Frank also invested in the dry cereal business at one point. Seeing the success of W.K. Kellogg and C.W. Post over in Battle Creek in this business line. And so he joined Colin F. Hardy of Marshall in establishing the C.F. Hardy Company, which manufactured a cereal product named Hardy Food. But meanwhile, his F.A. Stewart Company continued to grow, and he sold remedies to wholesale drug suppliers, who in turn sold them to retail outlets. Possibly the greatest boon to the company came in 1926. Now, prior to that point, all of his business was done through advertising in newspapers across the country. And if you look at old newspapers from the late 1800s to the early 1900s, there are full displays of all kinds of mail order advertising. These types of companies were beginning to grow and abound all over the country, and they 
spent a lot of money on advertising, and the successful ones survived. And the F.A. Stewart Company had taken a niche in this area of marketing and was a common presence during this time in the newspapers. But in 1926, the Sears Roebuck Company and the Montgomery Ward Company began to distribute the Dyspepsia tablets and the charcoal lozenges in their mail-order catalogs. Now, a lot of people today probably don't remember the Sears Roebuck catalog or the Montgomery Ward catalog, but I can guarantee you that my parents did growing up. If you Anybody that grew up in the 1940s or the early 1950s probably remember those catalogs coming in the mail, and that was a big way of marketing that was done and it was the biggest source of commerce to have a major catalog distributed to people's homes through the mail. In fact, the Sears Roebuck Company built their business on the mail order catalog and it wasn't really that long ago that that was how a lot of commerce was done was through the U.S. mail. It wasn't until the internet that a lot of those types of businesses slowly started to disappear. But they were the Amazon of their day. When you wanted to find something to purchase, you went to the Sears and Roebuck catalog company and looked in their catalog, or you looked in the Montgomery Ward catalog, and that's where you found the stuff to buy. And there was everything in there from entire house kits where you could build an entire house to clothing to food, and, of course, medical remedies. And so his products of the F.A. Stewart Company had made it into those two catalogs. So Frank possessed a sharp business sense, and he recognized the economic advantages of subcontracting the manufacturing of his products and eventually hired a pharmaceutical company to produce them. This led to corresponding reduction in the staff and the overhead cost in Marshall, but it also increased his profits. After this change, his firm employed approximately 20 employees, which worked at repackaging and bulk product shipment to retailers. So they mainly kept the distribution part of it in Marshall. I believe the manufacturing he established over in the Chicago area. The company's growth during the golden age was not marked by its number of employees, but its rising profits. Alas, the long-term potential of the F.A. Stewart Company will never be known today, as on August 2nd, 1931, at the beginning of the Great Depression, during a time when many patent medicine companies actually were prospering, Frank Alfred Stewart passed away. His widow, Jessie Church Stewart, did not wish to change the business, which meant, in essence, she did not want to continue the expansion that Frank was engaging in over the years. So the company gradually eliminated national advertising, and as it did so, the sales began to decline. Frank had invested his money wisely, however, and during its waning business years during this time period, the company was still prosperous. The company would eventually lease the manufacturing rights to its products to the Allied Chemical Corporation, which paid a royalty on the sales, and the last royalty check for that 
came to the company in 1968. So Frank Stewart is remembered in Marshall as being a self-made man, and he was also a civic leader in his time, and he was very civic-oriented, and he made great contributions to the community. And at the time of his death, the Marshall Evening Chronicle wrote this about him. Strange and incomprehensible are the ways of providence, but humanity must submit no matter how cruel it dictates. We voice the sentiment of the community when we say that none could have been taken who will be more missed or regretted than will be Mr. Stewart. So when Frank Alfred Stewart died, he was 67 years old in 1931. In 1985, there was a Western Michigan University student by the name of Teresa Lou Trupanio that did a thesis on the patent medicine town of Marshall, Michigan. And it was a social history of the patent medicines in Marshall, Michigan. And she gave a lot of detail about the history of the patent medicine business. And it's a, about a 200-page document that you can download online. And I will put a link to that in the podcast description if you're interested in downloading it and reading it, because it's a fascinating read about the history of the patent medicine business. But I'm going to read you some of the stuff that she wrote here about the patent medicine business in Marshall, Michigan. And she writes, Marshall, Michigan was once known as a patent medicine town and had over 50 medicine companies. The medicine industry flourished in America until the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906 regulated the trade. Marshall provides a microcosm of the industry. H.A. Peterson Company from 1870 to 1890 and the Sharpstein's Family Medicines from 1873 to 1950 introduced Marshall to many techniques from mail-order marketing to medicine shows. The Voltaic Belt Company from 1881 to 1893, this is where F.A. Stewart got his start. The Crystal's Electric Belts from 1893 to 1905, and the L.F. Page Company from 1891 to 1901, and the H.A. Horton Company from 1916 to 1928 sold remedies for the lost manhood and the success of the F.A. Stewart Company is also represented in this article. It also goes into these other companies. The Brooks Appliance Company from 1880 to present, which encouraged others to join the trade. And then the C.E. Goss Company from 1901 to 1924 and the E.R. Page Company from 1893 to 1969. And the McWethy's Home Treatment, which was from 1933 to 1938. All of those companies were exclusively mail order companies. The Food and Drug Administration and the Federal Trade Commission and the Post Office Department worked together to end the quackery, and many Marshall businesses felt the effects. Marshall no longer had renown as patent medicine town, and at the time of the writing in 1985, only one business remained. The rising cost and increased regulation made it unprofitable 
for most of the small concerns. And today, remember she's writing this in 1985, Marshall reaps the benefits of its long-forgotten past through an annual home tour of the historic homes built with patent medicine industry funds. And a lot of the historic homes that were built during that period in Marshall were from people that were working in the patent medicine industry. And those historic homes are a reflection of that time of prosperity in Marshall. And she further writes that the patent medicine trade touched the lives of almost everyone. Illness proliferated in society with few sanitation laws and a lack of medical knowledge. People already beset by disease were bombarded with advertisements offering a cure for any and all complaints. Proprietary medicine businesses affected not only the sick. Newspaper editors came to rely on the advertising revenues generated by patent medicines. Indeed, some local economies depended on the trade. In the late 19th century, the patent medicine business mushroomed. Nearly every American village and town had at least one or two entrepreneurs who tried to make a living selling medicines. Marshall was different. There, the trade flourished. The proprietary medicine companies of Marshall provided consumers with every conceivable type of remedy marketed elsewhere in the United States, from baldness cures to cataract cures men's restoratives to female regulators, specifics to panaceas. No innovation to trade escaped the watchful eyes of the Marshall Medicine Men. They faithfully followed the methods established by the leading manufacturers. If a new scheme surfaced, they quickly claimed it as their own. The medicine recipes came from a variety of sources. Doctors, druggists, Indians, folk medicine, and even the United States formulary, which she describes further in this article. Neither medicinal value nor mystical sources guaranteed success in the trade. Advertising was the key ingredient. And I believe that is why the F.A. Stewart Company was so successful, because Frank Stewart was a brilliant advertiser in the way he worded the descriptions of his remedies. So in the end, many would-be millionaires hired advertising agencies to promote their goods. Those who did not have sufficient capital to acquire an agent often started mail-order medicine firms, which required less initial investment. Others used traveling shows to peddle their medicines and their remedies. Marshall, as might be expected, had promoters of every category. Lack of federal regulation nurtured this unparalleled growth of this industry. Anyone, regardless of background, education, or medical knowledge, could market any product from plain water to absolute poison as a cure for any disease, real or imaginary. In such an environment, charlatans proliferated and Marshall had their share, and abuses reached intolerable proportions in the 1890s, the post office department began to clamp down on the worst offenders through its statutes prohibiting mail fraud. Samuel Hopkins Adams wrote a series of articles for Collier's Weekly in 1904-1905 called The Great American Fraud, exposing the Nostrum evil. His reports among the finest muckracking journalism in America forced 
public to review this issue. Agitation for federal legislation soon followed, and in 1906, Congress passed the Pure Food and Drug Act, the first law specifically designed to regulate the proprietary medicine trade. It defined certain labeling requirements and prohibited misbranding and adulteration. The Federal Trade Commission, established in 1914, gained jurisdiction over fraudulent advertising. Marshall Medicine Manufacturers, along with their national counterparts, promptly discovered paths of circumvention. Some stayed within the letter, if not the spirit of the law, the less wily found themselves recipients of formal citations from the United States government. So Marshall was a microcosm of the patent medicine trade in America from its heyday to its ultimate decline. Yet statistically, Marshall was atypical. Surrounding towns and larger populations had but fewer medicine businesses. Biographies of Marshall's individual companies and their founders reveal the conditions which fostered the trade in this unlikely spot in history. Local historians, by their very nature, reveal human foibles. The patent medicine story exposes the greed of purveyors and the gullibility of consumers, and it is a tale of both comedy and tragedy. The term patent medicine is actually a misnomer. America's first patent medicines came from England. A few had been granted patents by the king, but they were placed on the shelf side by side with unpatented varieties. Shopkeepers made no distinction between the two, and soon the term patent medicine referred to all packaged remedies. This arrangement pleased American manufacturers, and it gave general public the mistaken impression that patent medicines had government sanction. Nothing could be further from the truth. While a few manufacturers actually secured United States patents, most did not. To obtain a patent, the formula had to be revealed. Most vendors realized the commercial value of secret ingredients, a standard in the trade, and had more sales potential than the possession of a United States patent, especially since most people regarded the latter as a foregone conclusion. As a result, most of the patent medicines remained unpatented. The term proprietary medicine is used interchangeably with patent medicine. So that's kind of the the summary of the patent medicine business. And it was an interesting chapter in American history. And it went away with the regulation by Congress, which ultimately brought about the FDA. But in those years, in the early years of the business, all the way to its ultimate decline after federal regulation stepped in, it was a, a period of prosperity, but as mentioned before, it was also a bit of comedy. If you look at the old newspapers and you go through some of the advertisements, you go, oh my God, they were actually selling that kind of remedy for that problem. And it's really quite hilarious sometimes. You can go, wow, you can see the comedy of the whole thing. But at the same time, people were being given things that there was no source about what it was and there was a lot of toxic things that were being given to people including things that are highly regulated today cocaine methamphetamines and all sorts of other addictive drugs were being distributed through 
the patent medicine industry. And there were also poisons. And you'll find examples of mercury and other things being used as ingredients, as well as a whole host of other chemicals that we know today as being very toxic. And just go through the old ads and old newspapers and you'll see what I mean. It's hard to uh, not come across them. Uh, And you'll find that all over the country in old newspapers. Because essentially there were no rules or guidelines to regulate the industry. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history, looking at the history of the F.A. Stewart Company and the patent medicine business in Marshall, Michigan, and around the country. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to leave a review on whatever app that you are listening on. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can always find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners, and I enjoy getting your messages through the email using the contact forms on there. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening.